Hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Hewitt and welcome to the Conservative Voice Show, your place for honest, controversial, and the hottest in political conversations. Alright guys, so real quick, I just wanted to take this time before we start the show today to say thank you to every single one of you. So looking at the stats on Podbean and when it comes to the podcast, we're looking at almost maintaining just a hundred percent growth over the last 14 days, right? We are booming in numbers and booming in listeners, and it's all thanks to you guys. And I cannot tell you one how happy that makes me, two, how awesome that feels, and three, just how appreciative I am of your guys' support. I know that I'm a new podcast, it's kind of a steep learning curve that I'm trying to get down. And all of your support means the world to me. So thank every single one of you for your support. And I can't wait to to present the show to you guys today and continue making it. So if you don't already, smash that like button, smash that subscribe button, follow me over on Twitter, follow me over on Instagram, and let's have a blast. Let's get to the show. All right, everyone, welcome back, my fellow American patriots. So today's show is actually going to be kind of like real big. Like, there was a lot of things that happened over the weekend that we need to talk about. So, we'll start off with how Kamala Harris is still openly lying to the American people. Um, Over the weekend, there was an assassination on an Iranian top scientist and the one that was in charge of their nuclear program and things like that. So, we'll talk about that and the ramifications that that may have on American foreign policy. And probably the biggest news of today is that Trump's case regarding illegal immigrants being counted in the 2020 census is currently being held at the Supreme Court. So all of this on today's show, make sure you stick around to the end because it's very, very important, very, very important that you hear the things that are going to be impacted depending on what the Supreme Court's decision is on Trump's census case and should illegal immigrants be allowed inside the census things like that. So there's huge, huge, huge news that you don't want to miss. So make sure you stick around. All right. So let's get things started. So over the weekend, Kamala Harris sent out some tweets that were highly controversial. And not what they say necessarily, but how much it contradicts and goes against everything that she has been saying for her entire campaign how what Kamala supported during her campaign is completely different than what she's claiming now. So in a report from Fox News, written by Bradford Betts, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris was widely slammed on Twitter this weekend for committing to helping small businesses affected by the coronavirus pandemic, despite having openly supported protesters at the height of the social unrest over the summer. So I'm gonna read the tweet real quick from what she said. I'm sorry for the really loud playing in the background. I can't help it. If it's real bad, I'll edit it out and I'll re-record it, but we'll figure that out as we go along. So I just wanna apologize. All right, so her tweet said, small businesses, especially black and minority owned businesses, urgently need relief to survive the effects of coronavirus this weekend, I'm sorry, this winter. Joe Biden and I are committed to helping these businesses during this pandemic and get them the support they need to thrive in years to come. Twitter users quick to compare 
Harris's post, the one she made in June, in a tweet in which she threw her support behind protesters on the ground, right? So I don't understand how you go from supporting rioters and looters that were destroying small businesses, destroying minority small businesses that were causing small businesses to board up their shop, literally board it up, right? I support Black Lives Matter or whatever. I support Antifa. I support all this crazy, radical, progressive ideas so that they didn't have their businesses torched, looted, destroyed, burned. Like, I don't understand it. Like, where was the relief that she was calling for when products were being stolen from by looters, right? Like, that has a huge impact on small businesses. If you have looters that are destroying thousands of dollars in property, and then stealing thousands of dollars in merchandise. That is going to put a lot of businesses under. Uh, that's going to cause a lot of businesses to shut down. Where was the hell was the support for black businesses that had to be boarded up? I remember probably, what, three or four months ago, that like really, really trending video of that black business owner saying that he was a black business owner and they were destroying his business, his bar that he created and that he built from the ground up. Where was the support for that? Why did she not call for a stop to the violence, a stop to the looting, and a stop to the rioting when it was destroying small businesses? And that's the thing, right? The left and Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and the rest of the Democrats have unfortunately used black Americans as nothing more than like a pawn, nothing more than a tool to kind of like be moved around. Like, okay, yeah, we're going to support like Black Lives Matter, go riot, go loot. And we'll allow that so you can vote for me because I support you. I think you're being oppressed. But on the flip side, I'm not going to support the hundreds of small minority businesses that are the true way to show that oppression does not exist. So you have black Americans, minority Americans that are building their own companies at the ability of American capitalism that now are being destroyed by the exact same people that the left supports and then on the flip side, claimed to support these small businesses that were then destroyed by the organization that the left was then supporting. If they actually cared, they would have done more to protect black businesses in Democrat-ran cities. They would have done something to help curb the black-on-black -black violence that is prevalent in heavily black communities. They would be supporting the legislating of programs that help support education in impoverished neighborhoods. If they really cared about the black community, that is what they would be talking about, right? Because I remember, and I'm going to read you this tweet, right, from back on the ground in Minnesota that Kamala Harris posted back in the summer, and it'll draw the contrast, right? She tweeted, if you're able to chip in now to the at Minnesota Freedom Fund to help post bail for those protesting on the ground in Minnesota. Okay. So I guess bailing out looters raising money for rioters, supporting the looting and rioting is way more important than supporting minority education, supporting the businesses that were destroyed by that same rioter and looters that you want to bail out. And like I said, that is the issue that unfortunately plagues the minority communities is that they put their trust into the Democratic Party and then that trust is then betrayed. And then next election cycle, they radicalize that base under some form of racial pretense or something like that to then gain those votes again under the like, like under the idea that 
the Democratic Party is going to do something for them, which is just untrue. Biden has been in office for 47 years. Kamala Harris is a sitting senator and has done nothing to stop the violence, nothing to stop the looting. No, instead they actually supported that. They supported it. Joe Biden refused to acknowledge that Black Lives Matter and Antifa were rioting and looting in the streets during the campaign. Kamala Harris literally calling for money to let the rioters and looters out of jail. So there is nothing that she can say that says that she needs to support or that she does support or will support or that her and Biden will support minority business owners when they've already turned their back on them. Like, I gotta give it to her, you know? At least she remains steadfast aligned. Like, she may not like remain steadfast in anything else or have any form of like moral compass, but she at least is steadfast in her line because that's about the only thing that she can like keep on track and doesn't back down on. And it brings light to something that they are not addressing in their like, campaign and in their transition. They are elected during the campaign. They never really talked about how they're going to support small businesses, not just African-American small businesses, not just Hispanic, Asian, like all the minority small businesses, but just small businesses in general. They say that they are, like they always say, oh, well, we'll support small businesses, but they never tell us how they're going to support said small businesses. They gain the support of the people by saying it, but then probably are not going to deliver on it. Like, I think, how are you going to support small businesses when you want to raise the minimum wage? How are you going to support small businesses when you want to raise taxes? How are you going to support small businesses when you don't give them the ability to protect their business? So I find it very, very difficult to say that Biden and Kamala Harris are going to protect and support small businesses when everything that they've said that besides that they're going to support them strikes against supporting small businesses. I, it doesn't make any sense and it just goes on to perpetuate that lie that the Democratic Party continues to perpetrate that they're going to support said group of people and then do nothing to support that said group of people. All right. Sorry, I just woke up, I'm working nights and that's the cup of joe. Um, I'm not sponsored by Black Rifle Coffee Company, but I just started getting it. And if you don't try this, um, this is a, probably the best coffee I've ever had in my life. Like, it's actually really good and it's really cheap, honestly. We, the wife and I became part of like their coffee club member and it's great. If you don't get it, some, grab you some. Great company, great coffee. All right, anyway. So the biggest news that broke over the weekend was the assassination of Iran's top physicist and Guys, for all of you Middle Eastern descent that listen to this show, please forgive me. I'm going to completely botch this gentleman's name. But Iran's top physicist, Mosin Fakharizada, was assassinated over the weekend. According to Iran's state media, Fakharizada was traveling in a vehicle near the city of Tehran when his vehicle was attacked by gunmen, ultimately ending in the um, physicist's death. Physicist death. All right. So according to the New York Times today, in an article written by Farnas Fasasi, David E. Sanger, Eric Schmidt, and Rosen Ronan Bergman, 
Iranian-style nuclear scientist who American and Israeli intelligence have long charged with was behind secret programs to design an atomic warhead, was shot and killed in an ambush on Friday as he was traveling in a vehicle in northern Iran, Iranian state media reported. The scientist, Mozan Fakharizada, believed to be 59, has been considered the driving force behind Iran's nuclear weapons program for two decades and continued to work with the main part of the effort was quietly and continued to work after the main part of the effort was quietly disbanded in the early 2000s, according to the American intelligence assessment in Iranian nuclear documents stolen by Israel. One American official, along with two other intelligence officials, said that Israel was behind the attack on the scientists. It was unclear how much the United States may have known about the operation in advance, but the two nations are the closest of allies and have long shared intelligence regarding Iran. The White House and the CIA declined to comment. And this is huge. And anybody who thinks that it's not going to impact Biden if he's elected when it comes to his foreign policy is absolutely absurd, right? And mainly because he wants to re-enter the Iran nuclear deal. And well, we just killed, well, not we, but somebody just killed Iran's top nuclear physicist, right? And I'm not sure who actually carried out the attack. At least I don't know. But I would be very surprised if the U.S. didn't either know about the attack or at least supported in like the intelligence portion of the attack. The last thing though that America or the rest of the world wants is a terrorist-ran nation that has its hands on nuclear weapons, right? So in a report from Politico, according to the Associated Press, it covers how this may complicate things if Biden is elected and the shadow it may cast at the end of Trump's first term as president if he is not reelected, right? Because We've all heard Biden say he wants to re-enter Iran's nuclear deal. If Iran believes that America is somehow involved in the assassination of that scientist, then that's going to muddy the waters in trying to negotiate some form of, like, I'm going to call it a faux agreement because we all know that Iran is not going to hold up to their end of the bargain, that we will give them millions of dollars like we did before, and in turn they will continue to enrich uranium, and create a nuclear weapon and continue down their nuclear program, right? All right, so according to that political article, the slaying threatens to renew tensions between the U.S. and Iran in the waning days of President Trump's term, just as President-elect Joe Biden has suggested his administration could return to Tehran's nuclear deal with, the, with world powers from which Trump earlier withdrew. The Pentagon announced early Sunday that it sent the USS Nimitz aircraft carrier back into the Mideast. In a statement, Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei called Fakhrizadeh called Fakhrizadeh the country's prominent and distinguished nuclear and defensive scientist. Khamenei said that Iran's first priority after the killing was the definitive punishment of the perpetrators that and those who ordered it. He did not elaborate. Speaking to the meeting of the government's coronavirus task force earlier Saturday, President Hassan Rouhani blamed Israel for the killing. Rahuni said that Fakhrizadeh's death would not stop its nuclear program. That should be dangerous. That should be absolutely dangerous. Anybody who does not want Israel, I'm not sorry, not Israel, Iran to have hands on nuclear weapons, well, right there they said that it doesn't matter what we do, that it's not going to stop their program. Something Kamani said as well, Iran's civil, civilian nuclear program has continued to experiment and now enriches uranium up to 4.5% far below weapons-grade levels of 90%. Okay, 
First of all, those of us that believe that they're just using it for nuclear energy, well, you're naive because that is not true. It is a it is a terrorist-ran state. And to think that the terrorists are not trying like relentlessly to get their hands on nuclear weapons is absolutely absurd. So anyone who has listened to my show knows that I am not a supporter of a nuclear Iran. That does not smell good news for America. It does not smell good news. Smell good news for the rest of the world. It doesn't smell good news for the Middle East, Israel, or any one of Iran's. Like the only people that may actually benefit from it is Russia, maybe. And I wouldn't say they would benefit from a nuclear Iran. But reading this, I have a few thoughts on that, right? If the man responsible for killing massive amounts of people, or has helped perpetrate the terrorist vision in Iran then he was a threat to humanity. Absolutely. I also think that if he's creating nuclear weapons, that is a direct threat to American sovereignty, then we cannot just allow it to continue. Something had to be done. And three, do I know, like I said, do I know if it was us or not? No, I do not. But like I said, I would be surprised if we didn't have a hand in it. Like the article said, Israel is one of our closest, if not our closest ally in the Middle East. To think that we did not have some form of support for them I think it would be remiss. So I've seen on Twitter some people claim that this was a conspiracy theory done by the Republicans in order to complicate the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, I don't really know. I don't think so. I think that Biden should definitely rethink negotiating with a terrorist nation. I definitely think that is true. I don't think that the Iran nuclear deal was good for America or the rest of the world. But I also do not think that the Republicans carried out a unilateral attack on foreign soil against the scientists of an enemy state without notifying anyone inside the Democrat party, right? I, I don't see that being a thing. I don't ever see that occurring. Someone in a top, like a top level brief, if America wasn't involved, knew about it and probably okayed it. More than likely, what I think happened is that it was at the hands of the Israelis, but supported by American intelligence. Because American intelligence is very, very good. Very good. And so that is what I think happened. Is I think that the Israeli Israeli military or is or the Israeli like intelligence community or uh, someone supported by the Israelis was the hands on the ground. And then all of that was supported by American intelligence. Alright guys, so on to the election. So this year has brought some rough elections, right? Like, we all know that the elections are still raging on, that there's still lawsuits going on, that some people say that Joe Biden's going to be the president, other people say that Trump's going to be the president, there's Trump lawsuits, there's Biden saying that there's no evidence. Back and forth, back and forth. It's been ugly, right? It's been very, uh, very ugly. But we are set to um, start something in 2021 that is going to make things just a little bit more ugly, right? Like, we didn't think it could get much more uglier, but it can it gets about as ugly as like two squirrels fighting and then they like bounce off the tree and hit their head and then somehow get ran over by a car and then spit up by like a, a pickup truck and then kicked out the back. Like that kind of ugly. Like it's about to get real ugly. And the reason why is because it is a redistricting year, which means for those of you that don't know, every 10 years, the census is done and then a redistricting and apportionation happens, right? And what that means is, is that we take the number of people, well, the government does, not us. We take the number of people taken in the census, 
and start to redraw district boundaries and what states are going to have how many um, representatives based on population found inside the um, census and things like that. So that is what's about to occur next year, right? It's going to have many issues that are going to be brought to the forefront in Congress. Like who's going to lose their seat due to redistricting? Who's going to gain seat? Which party will hold majority based on population? Who's going to get more seats? Is Texas going to end up getting more electoral votes? Is California going to get more electoral votes? Is Wisconsin going to lose an electoral vote? Like, and I'm not saying those are the things that are going to happen. Those are me just throwing out like rapid firing some ideas and possibilities that could happen, right? So this is going to be cutthroat battles according to Ally Mutnick with Politico, right? The 2020 elections were ugly. The redistricting battles in the next two years will be even more brutal. The decennial process will produce hundreds of new congressional districts, turning safe seats into hotly contested battlegrounds, forcing colleagues into cutthroat and inter internecine wars and spurring a cascade of early retirements. Ultimately, it will determine the balance of power in Congress for the next decade, and both parties are gearing up for the fight. We must win the redistricting war, said Representative Sean Patrick Maloney of New York, a leading candidate to chair the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. It is the battlefield that will determine the House majority, period. Full stop. It's absolutely critical. It could be months before the consensus apportionment data shows exactly which states will gain and lose seats, and it'll take even longer to gauge the impact of the maps. From those drawn by partisan state legislatures to commission, to commission drawn maps in places like Michigan and New York, but already there are a few members of Congress who will most certainly find themselves in more challenging terrain in 2022. This redraw will be most painful in the roughly 10 states which are on track to lose a district, particularly ones with smaller populations. That could mean bare-knuckled maneuvering between the two Democrats in Rhode Island and three Republicans in West Virginia, states likely to drop a seat. Here are the members who are already most at risk in the redraw, according to interviews with more than a dozen lawmakers, operatives, and map makers in both parties across seven states. So that's what I was saying, how it's going to be bloody, it's going to be vicious, it's going to be cutthroat, is because of that, that drawdown. Because there is the fact that some states are going to lose seats, some states are going to pick up seats, and the redistricting that will occur will cause certain lawmakers and representatives to either A, lose their seat or make it more challenging for them in 2022. All of that's going to happen, right? So here I'm going to go over what Politico says is the representatives that are most in danger, and then we'll continue, all right? So the representative Jim Langvin, Democrat in Rhode Island, Representative David McKinley and Alex Mooney, both representatives and Republicans from West Virginia, Representative-elect Barry Moore and Jerry Carl, Republicans from Alabama, um, Rodney Davis, Cherry Bustos, and Lauren Underwood, Democrats from Illinois, uh, Representative-elect Michelin Fischbach and Angie Craig, Democrats, one a Republican from Minnesota, one a Democrat from Minnesota, um, Representative Lucy McBeth, Representative Caroline Bordeaux, Democrats from Georgia, uh, Representative Sharice Davids, Democrat from Kansas, right? So those are all the seats that are right now the most in danger due to the redistricting and the apportionment coming after the 2020 census, right? And this is absolutely true, I think we can see, because the Democrat Party already has huge issues internally. 
Like, I know it threatens Republicans, right? But I want to draw back to that, that statement that the vice chair of the DCCC said, right? That it's a battleground and it's imperative that they win the majority. Well, that's going to be very, very hard for you to do when you don't have, like, all your people pulling in the right way. Like, right? Not all pulling in the same directions. So the Democrat Party has those huge internal issues. To add to the fact that some long-term House members or members of the squad or any of them may be chopped is definitely going to lead to some heated battles. So you already have moderate Democrats and radical progressive Democrats bickering inside the House. What is going to exacerbate that? Or, or how is the consensus or census and the redistricting and the apportionment going to exacerbate those already tense kind of standoffs that you have inside the House? That's definitely going to add for some battles that are going to be heated and we're going to see, I think a lot of, no, pardon my French, but a lot of shit slinging inside Congress in the next two years. So when it comes to redistricting, it comes to apportionment, there is actually some huge, 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 huge news breaking today, right? So we all remember the executive order that Trump put out saying that illegal immigrants should be barred from or excluded from the 2020 census and how it went to lawsuits and it was struck down and, and Trump's um, executive order was struck down in lower courts. Well, it's been appealed and it is now being heard today in the Supreme Court, right? As I speak right now, the United States Supreme Court is hearing a case on whether illegal immigrants should be counted in the 2020, or 2020 census. Um, we do not know yet how the Supreme Court will decide, but this decision will be crucial in the redistricting and apportionments in the coming years. And why is this so huge? Well, to kind of understand what why it's going to be so big, we kind of got to understand first what the case is about, and then two, the numbers that are associated with the case and the impact that they're going to have, right? So Trump pretty much said that he didn't want illegal immigrants counted in the census. The apportionment and redistricting, the numbers that are found in those are what drive the um, redistricting and the lines that will be drawn and the apportionment and how many representatives each state will get are based on the number of people. Because there's always so many representatives in America, right? And those are divvied up to each state. The number of representatives is divvied up to each state depending on the amount of population that that state then has, right? So you figure if you have illegal immigrants being counted, then you have close to 11 million more people being counted than previously was, because that's about the number of illegal immigrants currently residing inside the United States. So if you have them being counted, and then you look at where those 11, 11 million normally reside, it could spell disasters for the Republican Party, like absolute disasters. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a, against illegal immigration, that's not true. I'm not saying it because I'm a Republican. I'm saying it because a majority of illegal immigrants live in huge Democrat sanctuaries. Like huge Democrat strongholds is where a majority of illegal immigrants reside, right? So we already know that large Democrat states like California and New York and now Michigan, right? They have more electoral votes, especially like Texas and California, New York get more more electoral votes because they have more population, 
right? More population equals more electoral votes. Therefore, in this year's census, they would count the nearly 11 million undocumented citizens. That would be 11 million people shift in the electoral votes and where they are like distributed among the nation. So in research done by the Pew, sorry, I'm so sorry, in research done by the Pew Research Center, right? 20 metro areas are home to six in 10 unauthorized immigrants in the United States. And this is what I'm have, all this data I'm about to read you is as of March 11th, 2019. This is their most recent one. We'll go from there and we'll see where they reside and then we'll move on, right? So most of the United States, 10.7 million unauthorized immigrants live in just 20 major metropolitan, metropolitan, sorry, I can't talk, areas with the largest populations in New York, Los Angeles, Houston, and Dallas, Fort Worth, according to Pew Research Center estimates based on government data. The nation's unauthorized immigrant population is highly concentrated, more so than the U.S. population overall. In 2016, the 20 metro areas with the most unauthorized immigrants were home to 6.5 million of them, or 61% of the estimated nationwide total. By contrast, only 37% of the total U.S. population lived in those metro areas. So you have 37% of the total American population, like of Americans, living inside those areas. But then you have 61% of the 11 million undocumented immigrants living in those areas, right? So what I'm going to go through here is they have a short list. It's 20. I'll go through them real quick, run down of the metro areas and how many undocumented um, immigrants are in them. And you'll be able to see why the Trump campaign is so worried about it being able to be counted in the census, right? So like in New York, Newark, New Jersey, right? So New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. There's 1,450,000 undocumented immigrants, right? I'm sorry, 1,100. 1,100,000 undocumented immigrants in 2016. And we can only assume that has increased. This is just the most up-to-date data that we currently have, right? We, we would assume that has now increased over the last four years. In Los Angeles, 925,000. Houston, 500,000. Dallas, Fort Worth, 475,000. Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West, West Palm Beach, Florida, 425,000. Washington, Arlington, Alexandria, so the D.C., Virginia, Maryland, and West Virginia area, 425,000. Chicago, Naperville, Eglin, so the Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin area, 400,000. Atlanta, Sandy Springs, Rossville, Rossville, Georgia area, 275,000. San Francisco, Oakland, and Hayward, California, 240,000. Riverside, San Bernardino, and Ontario, California, 230,000. So we can see how if they count all of these immigrants, right? 61,000 of 11 million of them going to very, very Democrat-populated areas. What is that going to spell for the Republican Party if they're allotted more representation? because of illegal immigrants that reside there. What is that going to spell for how the majority party in the House have broken up, right? If those are able to be counted. I am a firm believer. I believe that if you want to immigrate legally, that is awesome. Immigrate to the country legally. I'm all about it. I'm for it. We're a nation of immigrants, but there is laws, right? So come here legally. But what this could possibly mean is that California would receive even more electoral votes 
and could radically change district boundaries. Same things for like New York, Georgia, Seattle, Washington, like all those places, right? It will be interesting, I think, to see how the Supreme Court rules on it. I do think that they should be exempted from the census, like I said. If you're not legally allowed to vote, why would should they be illegally allowed to influence the seats on which they are not even legally allowed to vote for? So I don't understand where there's any legal standing or ground that that is unconstitutional or anything like that, because your right to vote is that you're an illegal citizen. Illegal citizens don't have the right to vote. That's why we talk about legal votes in the election. If you're not legally allowed to vote, you shouldn't legally be counted in the census. On the other hand, I think it'll be very, very difficult for the to be enforced. And the enforceability of laws is is very, very big on when you think of creating a law. So I can create whatever law I want. I can create that. You're not allowed to scuff your feet two times on the parking lot, right? Let's say that that's my law. But how enforceable is that law? How enforceable of a law is it that you have to wear a mask inside your own residence? How do you enforce that? And so I think that a question that the Supreme Court is gonna to have to look at is the enforceability of the law and the applicability of the law. Because what I know when I filled out my census, it never asked me about my citizenship. It asked me about my race, where I lived, all that information, but never once did it ask me if I was an illegal or legal citizen of the United States. I guess they could use like I, like some ICE data, you know, from immigration control that I would assume has a list of undocumented aliens and undocumented, undocumented immigrants living in certain areas. And they could just cut out the number from the final number to get rid of that, that illegal immigrant number on the census. But I think that that's a bit too non-discriminatory to be used, right? They may end up cutting out American votes and American citizens, which would also be very, very bad for Americans, right? But it brings me back, right, to my stance that I've held forever. We do, if we did immigration correct and we only allowed legal, legal immigrants into America and did not allow illegal immigrants into America, we would not find ourselves in this predicament, right? If you lawfully immigrate to the nation and lawfully come here, lawfully migrate, become a U.S. citizen, gain your citizenship, gain your work visa, whatever you are here legally under, whatever status legally you are here for, then you should be counted in the census. However, if you do not lawfully come here, you jump the border, you come here somewhere illegally, then you should not be counted. And the American government needs to hold that up, I think. All right, guys. So I know that was a bit heavy news. Like we talked about assassination of people. We talked about the potential cutting out of illegal um, immigrants in the census. We talked about Kamala Harris continuing to lie to the American people, which has been uh, her campaign strategy since Joe Biden announced that she, that she was going to be his running mate. So let's move on to some lighter news that I think also deserves some attention, right? So conservatives are continuing to outperform in California, right, which is huge. It's huge news and huge wins for the Republican Party. This is also something that is fueling, right? Fueling the idea that there is a frog going on in this election. In many, if not all states, Republicans are outperforming way better than the polls expected them to, way better than we expected them to, taking more seats than they thought in the House. As of right now, we'll see in Georgia in the runoffs, maintaining a slim majority in the Senate. 
small government like cities and municipal governments and county councils, things like that are also seeing places where Republicans performed very, very well. But then on the flip side of this, we see all of this and think, think that the president underperformed, right? That is something that is fueling a lot of fire in the idea that the election was fraudulent and things like that because you see down ballot voting doing very, very well. Republicans across the board performing very, very well. And then the president severely underperforming. Either way, whoever wins the presidential election, which is a mess, is whatever. But it is shows very, 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 very good things for the conservative party, for the Republican party, for the GOP, whatever you want to call them, that they are taking and seizing these key seats needed in these battleground states, in highly democratic states like California, right? That we're able to pick up those seats that weren't originally thought to be ours. I think it kind of shows a rebuke of the woke and left culture as they try to come back to American principles and values and start to like embrace the Republican Party, like I said before, as a working party as the, and as the party of the American people, right? All right, so Biden has also either severely sprained his foot or has a hairline fracture in his foot, which will require him to be in a, a boot for a little while. I kind of thought it was a little funny. Not that he hurt himself, but that it was done by, he slipped and fell or did something while playing with his dog. And I could see my dog being like that. If you didn't know, my dog's name is Arson. One of my dogs, my other dog is Samantha. My dog is Arson, he's a German Shepherd and he's pretty much the biggest asshole that you can imagine, right? He runs, he gets under my feet, he runs into me, he's loud, he whines, cries, everything like that, right? Love him to death, but I could definitely see how he, how Biden could trip over him. And I just thought it was funny because I've tripped over my dog about a million times, right? Even though, with that being said, I don't like him, I still hope that he gets feeling better because if he is gonna be my president, I would like a strong one, one that can walk and is not currently in a boot, currently in a boot, so, all right. So hopefully that um, Joe Biden gets better and wish him a speedy recovery. All right, so lastly, representative-elect Carlos Jimenez, the former Miami-Dade mayor, condemned Democratic governors and officials for allowing the mob to rule, according to Fox News. And this is so true, like I am sick. Like I am so sick of Democrat politicians allowing the mob to rule. And I think a good majority of Americans are, right? Allowing that the, the mentality that if you loot and you riot, that the American government and the people should just give it and bow to you. Allowing businesses and the people of their cities to be destroyed by these mobs is absolutely ridiculous. But the government's primary function is the, is the defense of its people, right? To provide for the Commonwealth. That, that literally is the government's job. And these Democrat-ran cities, these Democrat governors, these Democrat mayors, these Democrat county councilmen, these Democrat city councilmen, and these cities that have seen widespread violence are failing to do their one duty that the Constitution says that they're supposed to do, right, for the common defense, right? I remember when Seattle's government allowed for the Chaz to be built in the middle of their city, a place where the mob ruled. I remember, like, there was a, like, a gunshot victim inside this, like, Chaz zone or whatever it was called. But they weren't, the law enforcement were not allowed to get into them, like, to get in there because of this mob mentality, this socialist community that was brought up on these, like, dictatorship and that the people rule or one person ruled and that they want, tried to make all these demands. And the mayor just let that happen. And so good on um, 
Carlos Jimenez for calling out those Democrat leaders. We need more leadership in government calling out and rebuking the the things that these Democrat governors and Democrat-ran cities are doing. Like, we need to be holding these politicians accountable for their lack of duty, for one. They're not performing their duties. And the ridiculousness they allow to just take over widespread in their communities, right? All right, guys. So that is going to be it for today. Um, Also, tomorrow is going to be an awesome episode. I can't wait. I got some big news for you tomorrow, so make sure you stick around. Um, like I said, I'm not sponsored by Black Rifle Coffee, but if you don't have any, go get you some. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Supreme Court. I don't know. I'm very, 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 very eager to find out. Make sure that you follow me on Twitter, follow me on my Instagram. I'll put both of those in the show notes if you don't already. I post all kinds of things on there. I'll post as soon as I find out the update to the Supreme Court and what they decide and if they're going to take it, if they're going to push it to a later session, whatever they're going to do with it will be on my Instagram. And guys, as always, I appreciate you guys watching. I appreciate the support. Like, I looked yesterday, I posted it on my Instagram, I think maybe sometime over the weekend, that we're seeing like 170% growth in the podcast. That is all thanks to you guys. So thank you guys so, so, so much for your support. And I will see you guys tomorrow. Till then, guys, stay safe. And as always, God bless you and your family.